You know, if we were to look under the carpet that's underneath your feet, you know what we would see? You're thinking a bunch of concrete, right? <laughs> So 13 years ago, when uh, the people of Heartland at the time, maybe some of you were there, made this brave decision to move campuses from our location up on Lamar down here to just off 35 and 119th off of Stranglide Road, we had this immense task. Like I was there. They had this immense task. <laughs> they had this immense task to, to move locations. But they moved here not simply for a bigger building or better parking or a cooler facility. The reason why the church moved at that time was because there were people in the lives of Heartlanders who were close to them, but who were far from the love of God. And we moved here knowing that there were people who were close to this location, who were close to here, but who were far from the love of God. And so in the, in, in the, in the midst of this immense task of moving everything and building everything and, and refinishing everything so that this building didn't look like a furniture store that it used to be, right before they laid down the final carpet that's underneath our feet, right here in this room, the people of Heartland gathered one night and they wrote down in permanent marker the names of people in their life that they wanted to be able to experience the love of God. And so if we were to pull up the carpet underneath our feet, we would see hundreds, if not thousands of names written in permanent marker, every single name a prayer, saying, God, would you use our church, would you use Heartland to allow these people in my life to experience your power, to experience your love, to experience your grace? God, would you do such a thing? Would you move in these people's lives? Maybe you were there and, and wrote some of those names down. Maybe you're here and you don't even know it, but you were a name that was written down, that somebody was praying for you. And I share that just so that we would know, especially for those of us who maybe came in after that date 13 years ago, so that we would know that Heartland, we have always been a people of prayer. Because we have always believed that when we pray, that we are actually inviting the power of God into someone else's life. That prayer is probably, here's the claim that I want to make today, is that prayer is in fact the most important thing that maybe that we can do. Because when we pray for one another, we're not just simply offering some wishful thinking or some positive thoughts or just saying, offering something nice on behalf of others, but we are actually praying, inviting the power of God into someone else's life in this world. Amen. And what more could any single one of us need than that, right? And so today we're talking about prayer. The past few weeks we've been talking, as Johnny mentioned, we've been talking about some of the things that we do as followers of Jesus, things that we do on behalf of others for their good, but also for our joy. There are things that we do, uncomfortable things even, uh, that, are, that benefit others, but also can give us joy. Last week we talked about giving. We stepped into this hard conversation of giving of our resources, of our finances, of, of our stuff, like what's happening today with Adelante Thrift. That when we give, it stings us a little bit, but it actually benefits someone else who is in need. And because of that, we have joy. The week before, we talked about how when we serve, it's costing us our time, it's costing us our energy, but it's helping come alongside someone else who has a need. And so it's, it's for their good, but it's also for our joy. And kind of the foundation of this whole series is that this is what we learned from Jesus, who came to this earth and went to the cross, who ultimately gave it all, but he did it for our good. And he also did it for his joy. 
And so today we're talking about how that happens with prayer. And like those other things in the series, prayer is, does not always feel like a joyful thing. I just want to call that out. Like prayer can be an uncomfortable thing. It can be, it can be a hard thing. And so maybe as we step into prayers, we're even throwing that word around. That's a word that's a little scary for you. Maybe you've been skeptical of prayer. Maybe you've given up on prayer because it's, it's felt anything but joyful. Even C.S. Lewis, and pastors love quoting C.S. Lewis. We quote him as much as the Bible sometimes because he's been one of the most foremost Christian thinkers over the past hundred years. And even, even he says this about prayer. He says, let's come clean. Prayer is irksome. It's irksome. It's frustrating. It's hard. It's tiresome. We, it, it just kind of, I don't know, there's something about it that just doesn't always jive with us. And, and Here's, here's, here's what I think. I think that the, str- the joy of prayer, if we're looking for the joy of prayer, here's, here's what I think. The joy of prayer is actually in the struggle of it. Because prayer is a struggle, right? Let me explain what I mean. When we struggle with something, when we struggle well with something, we're actually growing closer in relationship to that something. That, that we can't struggle with something well from afar. But when we struggle with something, when we actually lean into the struggle, it actually deepens our relationship with the thing that we are struggling with. So when we pray, when we struggle in prayer, we're actually deepening and growing our relationship with, with the person that we're praying to. We're deepening our relationship with God as we struggle in this act of prayer. That when we pray, not only that, but we also, in that struggle, we deepen our relationship with the people that we're praying for. This is why Jesus tells us, pray for your enemies, because even Jesus knew that it was impossible to pray with other people on your mind and not let that soften your heart toward those people. Because when we're willing to struggle in prayer, it deepens our relationship with God. It also deepens our relationship with one another, and there's joy in that over time. So what I want to do today is I just want to help us with that struggle. If you've ever struggled with prayer, you're in good company, you're in the right place, we're in this boat together, and I want to help us in that struggle by looking at one of the prayers that shows up in Scripture. It's no surprise that all over the Bible there are prayers that are written out, and and we can use some of those prayers as we pray. In fact, some of the prayers that we see in Scripture were written by very specific people for other specific people in the course of, of, of history. And so we're going to look at one of those prayers. It's a prayer by the name of, a guy by the name of Paul who you may know was one of the first pastors of the church right after Jesus uh, was here on earth. And Paul traveled around the Mediterranean world and he helped start churches and he would write letters to these churches to encourage them, to challenge them. And it's no surprise that in these letters he would actually pray for them and he would write out the prayers that he was praying for these churches. And I want us to look at one of the prayers that he's writing so that we can learn how is it that we can pray for other people in our lives today. And before we do, How about I pray for us, (laughs) right? So if you would, let's pray together. God, this isn't an opportunity that we take lightly, that we get to pray to you, that we get to come before you, God, that we get to struggle in this moment even for some of us to, to talk to you. But Lord, we need to hear from you. We need you. We need your power in our life. We need your love, and and Lord, I pray that this would not just be a time when we talk about things or learn about things, but it would be a time that changes things and that we could leave this time and this place, wherever we're watching this from, Lord, that we could leave knowing you more. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. 
Amen. So I'm going to read Paul's prayer for us. And just as I do, listen in. Listen into what he's praying for the Ephesian people. This is a group of churches that are scattered around what we kind of think of as, as Turkey. And here's what Paul prays near the beginning of his, his letter to them. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ, which when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and all authority, all power, all dominion and every title that can be given and not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I feel like I should say, I should say like, hear the word of the Lord or something. Wouldn't you know what to say in that moment? There you go. Some of you have been around the church for a while. Uh, You know what I love about Paul's prayer? There's a couple things I love about Paul's prayer. The first thing is simply that he says, he says, I'm praying for you. He comes right out and he tells the Ephesians at the beginning of this letter, he tells them, I'm praying for you. That's it. (laughs) Like if prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do for one another, then the most powerful thing that we can say to one another is I'm praying for you. It's more powerful certainly than saying I'm going to pray for you, even though that can be a, a huge encouragement and powerful just because of the number of times we can say that to one another and, and yet forget to pray, right? It's just a thing that we've done before. I've done it. Maybe you've done it. It's more powerful to say, I'm praying for you than it is even to say, I have prayed for you. I prayed for you because as powerful as that is, what you're saying is, I have prayed for you and I'm not done praying for you. I'm still praying for you. Now, now let me step back for a moment because if you're still trying to wrap your mind around what is this prayer thing in the first place, something that's really helped me has been something that, that Tom, one of our pastors here at Heartland, has taught me about prayer. And he describes prayer very simply as the daily conversation of our relationship with God. Amen. Just think about it like that. Prayer is the daily conversation of your relationship with God. No need to overcomplicate it, over-religiousify it. It's just the daily conversation. You don't even have to be in that great of a relationship with God to have a conversation with God. And so we just think about it as the daily conversation of our relationship with God that we're coming before God and we're sharing with them the things that are on our heart. And when we say to someone, I'm praying for you, what we're saying is you, you're on my heart. You're in my conversation these days with God because there's something about you that matters to me. There's something that you're going through that matters to me and so I'm including you in my prayers with God. Let me go one step further. When we say I'm praying for you, what we're actually saying is I'm struggling for you. I'm wrestling before God in prayer for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm on your behalf. I'm, maybe this is a word that jumps out, contending for you. And that word to contend actually has this connotation of to stand beside someone as before a judge. 
that you're standing with someone, you're standing behind them, you're standing and pleading their case on their behalf before God and saying, God, would you move in power in some way in this person's life? And so you're struggling on, on someone's behalf before God. You're saying there's situations and struggles in your life and the thing that I know in my life is that the challenges of life can make you feel like you're alone. And we need people in our corner and prayer is what does that? But when we tell people I'm praying for you, it lets them know you're not alone. You're not alone in that struggle. I'm here with you in it. Prayer does that. Here's the second thing I love about Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. It's not only that he tells them that he is praying for them, it's that he actually tells them what he's praying for them, right? I don't know, have you ever had an opportunity where you've been able to listen in on someone as they've prayed for you? Some of you may have had this. I remember one of the first times I had this experience. It kind of freaked me out. I was not quite set up, ready for this. A friend of mine, I was a young adult, a friend of mine, he invited me to this, this men's event at a church that we were a part of. And um, as part of the evening, the leaders uh, divided everyone up and, and said, hey, whoever you're standing next to, just tell them a little bit about what's going on in your life and just pray for one another. And it was kind of, kind of lighthearted and, and low key. But in that moment, I got paired up with this guy named Rob. I barely knew Rob. I was barely a part of this church and all of a sudden I was being asked to pray like, like out loud. That's like a, another level of like following Jesus when you go from praying inside to praying outside. Like, and I kind of felt bad for Rob that he drew me. So we got to know each other a little bit and then I, I mustered through an out loud prayer that honestly was probably a C minus at best. It was not a great one, you know? So I felt bad for Rob. And then, and then Rob started praying for me. And I don't know what his relationship with prayer or with God was like, but I know what it felt like when I heard the words come out of his mouth, God, I pray for Brad. And I could tell, I could sense this kind of softer, tender tone to his, to his voice as he approached God. And it kind of disarmed everything I was feeling in that second. And then he just started to pray for God's help. It wasn't anything super eloquent or bold. He didn't use long vowels and big words. He just prayed for me and the stuff that I was going through in my life. I got to listen in on this conversation as he struggled before God on my, on my behalf for just, for just a couple minutes. That's what's happening for the Ephesians. Paul is praying for them. And he's writing it out. And the Ephesians are getting to listen in on what Paul prays for them. So I want to walk through the things that he prays for us to be able to pick up a few things. See, it starts in verse 15, chapter 1, 15 of Ephesians, where Paul says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people, he says, for this reason, what, what reason is that? Well, if we look back to the verses right before Paul prays for them, the opening of this letter, there's this beautiful doxology that Paul writes out all of the things that God has done for the followers of Jesus in Christ Jesus, all of the things that God has done for the people that he's praying for. And, and if we had eight weeks, we could unpack those first, first 13 verses, 14 verses where Paul, Paul says, hey, in Jesus, because of Jesus, you've been chosen by God. You've been adopted by God into his family. You've been redeemed by God from, from your sinful self and from this broken world. You've been purposed by God as a person, as a people in this world. 
You've been secured by God for an eternity, for an inheritance that he has reserved for you. These massive things that God has done for them in Christ Jesus. And he's saying for this reason, because you've said yes to that love of Jesus in your life. He says, because of these things, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in your Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Pause for a second. He says, ever since I've heard, because Paul hasn't met most of these people. Maybe some of them he has, but most of them not. He says, I've only heard about you. But what I've heard about is your love of God and your love of people. That that's the way you're living in the wake of what Jesus has done for you. If there was two things that we as a church were known for, is there anything better than that? Your love of God and your love of people. I don't want us to be known for our awesome building or our stellar, phenomenal preaching that we get to experience every weekend. <laughs> the coffee we serve, the great ministries we have. It's the love of God and the love of people that he says he's heard about. He says, for this reason, because of these things, what does he pray? He says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, what am, I, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for you. And I love that the first place he goes to in his prayer is a place of gratitude. Because gratitude is when we slow down to notice the goodness of God in our life. I should say that again. Gratitude is when we slow down to see, to notice the goodness of God in our life. And, and when we are grateful, when we're praying for people, Paul demonstrates, be grateful for them because it helps you see the goodness of God in them, that he's thanking God for these people. So as you pray for your kids, for your grandkids, for your coworkers, for someone that God puts on your heart, even, even for your enemies, the people who rub you the wrong way around the office, you're there to say, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for the way that you've wired them. Thank you for the gifts that they bring. Thank you for the ways that they challenge me. Thank you for the way that they encourage me. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I don't know what I have to thank you about them, but you have made them in your image, if nothing else. And thank you that they are here on this earth and that you love them the way that, the way that you do. Because when we slow down to notice the goodness of God, it allows us, it, it boosts the confidence in us for the things that we're asking God for. We're saying he's already been good to me and he's going to continue to be good. And so it, it lets us know that God is a good father, that he wants to listen to us and that he wants to hear us and he wants us to give us, he wants to give us the things that we ask him for. And so it allows us to go into this other part of prayer when we start asking for things with, with greater confidence. And so... What does Paul pray for after thanking God for the Ephesians? He says, so I keep asking. There's this fervency. I keep asking. There's a request on your behalf that I keep making known, that I keep and I keep and I keep praying on your behalf that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, and here it is, so that you may know him better. This is what Paul prays for, for the Ephesians. This is the big prayer. He says, I, God, would you allow them to know you better? First time I read that, I was kind of like, huh. If I were the Ephesians, what would I have thought about that? Know God better. Okay. But there's some situations in my life, Paul. Could you pray for those? 
There's some struggles in our church, Paul. Could you, could you pray for those? There's persecution that's happening around us. Could you, could, you pray for, could you pray for that? There's opportunities that we maybe need to jump into. Um, there's, there's just some work that needs to be done, Paul. Can you, can you pray for those things? But Paul doesn't pray for those things. He prays for something I think that, that's even bigger, maybe even better. He says, I pray that you would know God better. Some of your translations will, will say that you will know God more. And there's a key distinction I want to make sure we see here. That Paul is not simply praying that they would know more about God. He's praying that they would know God more. Now, this is, this is important because for the Ephesians, they might have actually been really excited that Paul was praying for them to know God because, because knowledge was a big deal in the first century. All over the Mediterranean, kind of the philosophy of the day was this thing called Gnosticism, G-N-O, not K-N-O. We flipped silent letters between our, our centuries. But Gnosticism, which was this ideal of knowledge, that acquiring intellect, that knowing a lot about things, that building up this knowledge base was kind of the be all end all of the day. And so as Paul's praying, I pray that you would know God more, the Ephesians were probably thinking, oh yeah, good, good, because that's what we celebrate in our culture is knowledge. But Paul isn't simply praying that they would know more about God, he's praying that they would know God more. This, this, is, this is information, that you would have more information about something. This is intimacy, that you would have intimacy with something. It's, it's kind of like this. Here's the distinction. I, I can know a lot about some things. I can know a lot about football. I, I actually don't. It's very embarrassing for me to admit that on stage. Okay. Um, I love watching it. Uh, but I could, in theory, I could, I could know a lot. I could know statistics. I could know the name of every third string, string quarterback in the NFL. I could know the styles of offense and defense and the positions and the statistics, just obscure statistics. Some of you are awesome at this. You're great at it. I could know a lot about football and still not know football because I've never felt the feeling of turf underneath my feet. I've never played football. I don't know the sounds of people in the stands cheering on a team underneath the Friday night lights. I do, I'm just usually the one in the stands, not on the field to hear it. I've never known the sting of two-a-days in the August heat. I've, I've never known the thrill of breaking a tackle for a new set of downs. I don't know those things. So I can know about football and yet not know football. And the same was the truth for, for the Ephesians, that they could know a lot about God and yet not even know God. And the same is true for us that we in the church, we can know a lot about God and not know God. We do this when we just load another podcast of another sermon or a Bible teaching, or we sign up for another class, another Bible study, read another book, all good things. I love those things. I got a degree in those things, many years. Here's, here's what I found out. You can get a degree in knowing more about God and not know God. Amen. I could have gotten my degree and walked across that stage knowing a lot more about God without even knowing God. We all can. This is a temptation that we all face. I remember after I walked to that stage and was proud to display all of my acquired knowledge before humanity. And then after my, my sermon, one of my first sermons after graduating, I remember someone come up, came up to me after the service and they were really impressed. And um, they came up to me and they wanted to give me a compliment. And they said, wow, that was a lot of great information. I really learned a lot today. <laughs> and they thought it was a compliment. And I knew in that moment 
I missed it. Because our best preaching, our best sermons, our best ministries and groups and even courses and classes that we offer from time to time will not be ones that teach you more about God, church. They will be ones that teach you to know God more. And there's a difference. It's even why at midweek on Wednesday nights, this is something we do, I encourage you to jump on in with us. We've got a whole bunch of us who are gathered online, also down uh, in a room down by the dock where we gather around tables and we take the things that we talk about here on Sunday morning that sometimes typically can go in one ear and out the other. And we go back to it and we just sit in it and we, and we talk about what does this teach me about God, but we don't leave before saying, how does this change my relationship with God? It's a way to go one step further. So learn more about midweek if you want to jump in and practice this, this hard skill with us. But we're in it together. This is why when, when I often get to pray for people, I just, I just prayed this for someone this week who was going through a really, one of our midweekers, in fact, who was going through a really tough situation in their life. And often what I will pray in that moment is, God, would you take the things that they know about you, the things that we sing about you, the things that, that we read about you, the things that we've heard about you, and would you help them to know that these things are true? Would you help them to know that you are these things? Your comfort, your mercy, your grace, your power, that they would not just know about these things, but help them to know these things in a very real and a very, very personal way. And so the joy that I think Paul was feeling as he prayed for the Ephesians was not that they would simply learn more about God up here, but his joy was that they would learn more of God here, that they would know God more in this place, in his heart. And so if you wonder what to pray for someone, this is a very simple way. God, would you help them to know you more? Not just to know more about you, but to know you more. And how does, how does Paul pray this? Look at, look at how he unpacks this for the, the Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the stadium lights would come on in your heart. To what? that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, God, would you help them to know the hope, the inheritance, and the power that they have in Jesus? Now, why are these three things so important? I think it's because these are three things that are really easy to know up here at a conceptual level, but harder to know right here. And they're the things that we need to know when we hit the daily stuff of life. Just, just take them. What is, what is hope? What is Paul praying the hope that he wants these people to know? To live with hope is to live that, to knowing that even in your struggles, you are able to live with an expectation of what the unseen future has in store for you. That hope is living on the tips of our toes for what is to come. Or as one church father, Tertullian, put it, hope is patience with the lamp lit. It's patience with the lamp lit. And Paul prays, God, help them to know that hope, not just here, but to know it here, to know that hope for what? What are they hoping for? What is that lamp lit for? He says, to know that glorious inheritance. And that sounds fun. Inheritances are fun. Um, but what, what is this inheritance? That's kind of always the next question. Paul writes about this inheritance in other letters in the New Testament. To the Colossians, another group of churches that he was writing to, he talks about this inheritance, that they would always be thanking God who enabled them to share in the inheritance of his people, who rescued us for a kingdom of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he lives. That inheritance that we have is the kingdom of Jesus. In another letter, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he describes this kingdom as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is reserved in heaven for you. It's the kingdom that Jesus left here to prepare for us, but also the kingdom that he is already breaking in here in our hearts and in this world. It's the kingdom of, a, of light in a kingdom of dark world, the kingdom of hope in, a kingdom in, a, in the kingdoms of this hopeless world, and it's the power of a future kingdom that we can know today. Paul is praying, would we know that? Would you know that? And that's the third thing. Paul says that they, Paul prays that they would know the incomparable power for those who believe. Now, if there was something that the Ephesians thought that they knew, it was power. In fact, if Rome, if you think about kind of first century Mediterranean, if Rome was the New York City of its day, Ephesus was kind of the Chicago. It's kind of the second city of it. Dan's not even here and we're talking about Chicago. If there was something that the Ephesians knew, they thought it was Chicago. They thought it was power. Because, because, because Ephesus, it was kind of this intellectual, spiritual powerhouse. This political powerhouse, this economic powerhouse, much like, much like Chicago uh, thinks, thinks that it is. Or it, it is, it is. Um, Several years ago, several years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of spending a weekend away and we stayed in downtown Chicago. And I remember walking around Michigan Avenue and, and taking the boat tour, which is a really cool thing to do if you ever get a chance to do that and drive you know, up and down the, the Chicago River and just being surrounded. I mean, every building around you, there's a story to it. And every single one of them is a, is a feat of human intellect and leadership and power. Everything converges in Chicago. Everything comes into Chicago. People who live four hours from Chicago like to say, I'm from Chicago. Like it's this powerhouse that everything points to. So much so that the, 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 the people of Chicago in 1900 actually reversed the flow of the Chicago River. Who, who does that? They did it because they could. They did it because all of the pollution and, and, and disease was dumping into Lake Michigan and they wanted to send it the other way so that cities on, on the Mississippi could have to deal with it. This is why St. Louis hates Chicago so much. <laughs> but they were able to do that because they were a center of intellectual and political power. And I remember as we were walking around, Allison and I were walking around and I, I remember saying, it would be really hard for me to live here and think that I had any need of God. And she was like, why? And I was like, just look around. Like everything here is a testimony to the power of people. Why would we need God? And I think the temptation, the struggle would be the same for the Ephesians too. That they were located around this city of such great power. And so Paul is praying, to them, praying for them, saying, God, don't let them settle for what they think is real power, human power. Open their eyes to what is your power. You know what I think is real power? So a while ago, when I first, we bought our first home and had the joy of home ownership. Um, we had a patio, Right? And uh, I went out there with a broom and a hose, a push broom and a hose, and tried to clean it. You've tried this. It doesn't work. Uh, and then a friend of mine brought over. He saw me doing this. He's like, this isn't going to work, Brad. So he brought over this, not this one. This thing is awesome. 
3,000 pounds per square inch of water. And I had, I had something like this, and I, I pulled this thing out, and I cranked it open, and, and you know the sound of a combustion engine. It just makes you feel powerful. And, then, and I started spraying this, and I was watching like 10-year-old dirt get moved like across. Like I, I had so much fun with this power. I cleaned the back patio. I went to the front patio. I cleaned the sidewalk between the, the front patio and the driveway. I cleaned the whole driveway. I cleaned the sidewalk in front of the house. I went up the street and cleaned the neighbor's sidewalks too. I was having so much fun with this power that I had in my, in my hands. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I thought this was power. And then a few years after that, my family and I were standing next to the waterfalls of the, of the Yellowstone River, the South Falls, dumping into the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. You can't tell how big this is from this picture. This is over 300 feet, and there's people, little people right here. <laughs> and even standing right here, you can feel, you think the bass drum in this room is loud? Stand next to this thing. Maybe you've done it at Niagara or something very similar to that, watching thousands upon thousands of gallons every second dump over that. That power, I tried to find a calculator that could compare how many pressure washers this equates to. I can't, you, it, you can't do it. Maybe you're an engineer, you can figure this out. But suffice it to say, that's a lot more power than this. And Paul is saying, don't settle for this power. This is our human power. This is when we equate our power with our intellect or our wealth or our security or whatever kind of move it and shake it kind of power we have around our workplaces or our lives or our families. Paul, Paul is saying this, this power, this is what I pray the eyes of your heart would be opened to. Here's how he describes just how massive this power is. He says that power, not this power, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is the waterfall of God's power. You know where we see that power at work? It's in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And whatever power you and I have or think that we have in this earth, and we, we may have some, we may have positions of power in our, in our workplaces or in our communities, whatever it may be, whatever power that we think we have pales in comparison to the power of God who raised someone from the dead. We have never done that. That power, here's what Paul prays. He says, he says you can actually know that power, church. He prays that they would. He says, in fact, you already have that power in you. Because remember all those things that happened at the beginning of chapter one, all those things that God did to choose you, adopt you, redeem you, to purpose you, to secure you for that inheritance for you forever. You know how that happened? It was through the power of Jesus. And you have that power in you. You can know that power. So don't settle for that power, because God has given you a greater power. And it's not just a power for you to know about here. It's a power for you to know about here in the daily situations and the struggles that are in your life. Here's what this means. It means that when we pray for people, we're inviting that power into someone's life. We're opening the door for God to do something in someone's life, someone who's close to us. We're praying that that power, that power that has the power to move people from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, 
to experience the power of a forever kingdom right here and now, we're allowing God to do that in other people's lives when we pray for them. So here's the question. Who are you and I praying for? Right? If prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do for someone, that it's not simply wishful thinking or kind words, it's actually inviting the power of God into someone's life, who are you and I praying for? In fact, on your seat or somewhere around you, there's two blank cards. I'm going to tell you, you've been wondering, what are those cards for? Here's what I'd love for us to do as a church. We may not have been here 13 years ago. We may not have been here to see what this floor looks like before the carpet went down. We may not have been here to grab a Sharpie and to write those names on the floor underneath us. But our mission has never changed, church. We have never stopped being a people of prayer. And so I just, right now, just as you look at that card, who's someone in your life? Who's that kid or that grandkid or that neighbor or that enemy that you want to pray, God, would you help them to know your love? Would you help them to know your power? Would you maybe even use me or our church to help them know it? And there's two cards, because I would love you to write their name on both of those cards. You can put their first name down. You can put their initials. One card is for you. It's for you to keep with you, to tuck in your Bible, to you know, put in your wallet or kind of keep nearby. And my, my ask is, during this series, would you take me up on this challenge? Would, you, would we pray for those people as we go through this series? And our prayer is simply this, God, would you help this person to know you more? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm, I'm not a believer in Jesus. I don't buy this whole prayer thing. Then here's what I wanna ask of you. First of all, thanks for being here. Second of all, just write, write your name and, and let, your, let your prayer be God. If you're real, help me to know you are. If you're here and you're, no, there's no name that's coming to mind, you can just draw a line and just trust this week, God, would you help me to, to have the name that I wanna put in this place that I want to know you more? The first card, you're gonna just hold on to. The second card, in a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion. And as we come forward, I'd love for you to leave that second card with that person's name on it, just there at the, at the place of communion. We've got some baskets or set it on the table or just leave it here, we'll find them. So that our prayer team can pray on, on your behalf and with you, can contend with you for those people. We're doing this together. You see, Jesus, the last night that he spent with his disciples, he did two things. First of all, he gathered with them at a meal, what we call communion, because he said, from now on, when you come together, I want you to, to, to eat this bread and drink this wine. We have juice. You, those of you watching online, you may have grabbed whatever's around you. The, the type of food it is doesn't matter. He said, when you come together, eat these things in remembrance of me, that my body hung on a cross for you, that my blood was poured out for you. And so here at Heartland, who can take communion? Anyone can take communion because the grace of Jesus is available to anyone. And if you want to come and receive or remember that grace, we invite you to come forward. The second thing that Jesus did, right after that meal, he went outside and he prayed. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. 
And this is what he prayed. He said, now this is eternal life that they, speaking of us and every person who would walk this planet, that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you, the Father in heaven, have sent. What we're praying for one another is something that Jesus has already prayed for us. So when you're ready, you can come forward, leave your card if you would, take the elements, and remember all that Jesus has done for you, the power that he has at work in you. So let me pray for us as we do. Lord, for the reason of you doing all that you have done to save us and to redeem us and to purpose us, to secure an inheritance for us, things that we can barely begin to grasp our minds around. Lord, we thank you. And we pray that we won't simply be recipients or rememberers of those things, God, but that we would be spreaders of the good news of what you have done for every single person that is available to every single person here on this planet. And you put people in our lives, names that you've raised to mind, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that they would stumble across your grace, that they would trip over your love, that you would have them lie awake at night considering that they might actually be loved by a creator, the God of the universe, more than they could possibly imagine. And God, would you use our church to help them experience that? We come together remembering that apart from you, we are nothing. We have no hope, we have no future, we have no power. But Jesus, thank you for making this possible. Amen.